I am Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on X. I use hip hop statistics, like discovering how many beat switches there are and then what, what a beat switch is. That's kind of the kind of content I've been doing on Twitter lately. X, sorry. God, it's going to be a tough one to get used to. It's going to change my life immeasurably. I'm Joe to the Fifth Element, where that shit ain't changing me in any fashion. And you are now about to witness the strength of Vegemite knowledge. I mean, to be fair, I do know quite a lot about Vegemite, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, you know too much about Vegemite. <laughs> Way too fucking much. Far too much, bro. The best thing was when we had the English cricketers come out and play for us, and it was always a challenge, like, who could eat a spoonful of Vegemite, just raw, just straight-up Vegemite, no chaser, no toast, no no crackers involved, just straight-up Vegemite. There's some weird faces, some faces I've never seen before in my life that people pulled <laughs> after that. It was, it was hilarious. I've got to be honest... That sounds like a war crime. Hi, Ben. How's your week, Ben? What did you do this week? Yeah, I had a shit ass week, man. Barely sleeping all, all over the shot today. So if I sound a bit scattered, it's because I have not slept. And the fucking rest of the cricket got rained out. So I was like, oh, I'm going to watch the cricket all night. And that got fucking rained out because it always rains in England. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're going to talk about what I listened to this week. I listened to Icy Twat's album, Final Boss. Um, Excuse me? <laughs> Hey, man, that's just the name of the artist. I'm just repeating the okay. name. And it's in all caps, all right. too. So I should probably have yelled it, but I didn't. Um, no, I like Icy Twipe, man. I like this album. It's, it's just snippets, like short songs, a minute 30, minute 40, two minutes 20, two minutes seven seconds. Like It's all right, man. It's just a, a bit of wall of synth noise. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, what else did we get into? Uh, Nicholas Craven and Ransom dropped Deleted Scenes 2, which I assume is... Just extras and Lucy's from their last project that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, I'm not Ransom's biggest fan in the world. Uh, I think that the production on here from Nicholas Craven is incredible. I, I just think he's supremely underrated right now. You know, I'm, I'm seeing, like, incredible consistency from him production-wise. So shout out Nicholas Craven. Can the man drop back to the 304? And it was it's a fucking slap. It's a straight-up slap brilliant tracks on here what's the best one here there was a great song on here somewhere it might be keep going or checking in one of these songs is just takes it to another level but definitely fully recommend that if you just want to hear some some straight up bangers chica dropped her debut album it's called samson the album and it's very interesting because you know chica's uh pinnacle of success was obviously being nominated for a grammy like two years ago three years ago uh, for best i think it was best new artist and we've just kind of been waiting for her her solo album her debut album to hear what she has to say and she talks a lot on social media and she's been through a lot like following her on social media if you do you'll know that it's been a genuine journey she is absolutely not shy in sharing her opinions and i respect her times a thousand bro like i have a lot of respect for her and the way that she conducts herself on social media uh from what i've seen anyway like you know she's very open and vulnerable this album wasn't as open and vulnerable as i expected i wasn't really sure what to expect there's mostly rapping on here a lot of it is about uh her own personal mental health journey and 
how that kind of links up with her experience in the industry and how the industry has you know been very detrimental to her mental health and her artistry as well so she's absolutely you know telling some stories on this record i don't really know what i expected i don't know but this wasn't what i expected but it's not bad at all it's 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 solid i reckon people should check it out i didn't you know what it doesn't feel like it does not feel like because i think it came out on warner um let me just double check where it came out on uh, yeah, Warner. So it, it doesn't feel like a major label debut record. It just doesn't. They allowed her to do what she wanted on this project, and, and I appreciate that. So shout out Chica. We've always got love for her on here. And finally, Travis Scott dropped Utopia. And yeah, did nice. he? he? He did. He did, Charlie. What's Charlie been doing? Everyone's been tweeting about it. Everyone's been Xing about whatever the fuck they do now. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what. When I first listened to this album, I was messaging Charlie, and I dared not say this on social media because, you know, Travis Scott is is God and everything that Travis Scott is the greatest thing ever, and this is the greatest album in history. And, you know, 20 minutes after it released, people were like, oh, my God, it's the greatest album ever made. It's definitely my least favorite solo album by him. And it's not bad, but, like, it is so all over the place. It reminds me heaps of Donda. Like, and obviously the Yeezus influence is just so overbearing at times. I'm like, okay, we get it. Like, you you worked on Yeezus, and Yeezus was a thing. Like, we know. But, Travis, you have a thing too. You know, you have... This is your fifth studio album. I think it's his fifth. One, two, three, fourth studio album. Um, Yeah, man, I don't know. Like, it's gotten better on repeat listens, but it is absolutely nowhere near his previous three for me whatsoever. Like, it's just way too inconsistent. Um, You know, Travis is very adept at setting a mood and creating a vibe, and, like, the whole album is an experience. That's why people don't like Birds that as much as Rodeo and Astroworld, because both Rodeo and Astroworld drag you into the experience and keep you there for the entire project. Birds doesn't do that. It does it for some of the songs, but then there's some like just misses in the middle and especially towards the end. I don't know what the vibe Travis wants me on here with Utopia. Like, does he want me raging? Does he want me dancing? Does he want me chilling? Does he want me... And he's rapping a lot here too, and he does not have a lot to say. That's also a big problem because, you know, the, the, the album cover that we saw, people were like, oh, shit, this is really intense. Maybe he's going to really get into some stuff. No, he, he doesn't get into any stuff, really. I mean, there's a few personal stories, a few things from his past, but, like, it's just the same stuff that he's been rapping about his whole career. So if you don't have any content and you're not creating, like, a consistent vibe and energy that is interesting in managing the mood of the listener... I don't know what it is. Like it's okay. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's a bad album at all. And it, maybe it will it will sink in better upon repeat listens. But again, these other three albums are iconic to me. Like these are albums I've listened to hundreds of times, especially Astro World and Rodeo. Like straight up classics to me. Like you know, perfect albums. This is nowhere near that. I don't think anyway. So anyway, that's just me. What about yourself, Charlie? What did you listen to this week? Not Utopia. Um, so we went into uh, Hamza with two A's and Israel where the I is a one. Nice. And uh, it's called Rush, Louis P. Uh, love me some Hamza. Love her voice. Uh, just love her pen game. Really solid uh, UK R&B soul tinge kind of artist. And uh, yeah, man, it's a solid uh, little five pack. Uh, nice EP, can't complain, real life production. First time I've heard 
Israel production, so that's a dub right there. And uh, yeah, really solid DP, can't complain. Uh, Damon Locks and Reb- Rob Mizurik, uh, New Future City Radio. Um, I was a little, little kind of just uh, thrown off about listening to this, and uh, while well, while listening to it, because it was kind of you see the you see the timings for the actual songs themselves, and like some of them. Like a couple of them, I forget which tracks. So uh, there's two tracks where they're just mad long, and then the rest of them are pretty, pretty short. And with that said, it kind of makes it when you're not actually looking at the track list like I was doing. It kind of you know flows pretty fine. Um, the album's not long itself in general; it's just under forty minutes, so it's not too laborious to listen to. Um, but it's just uh, there's a lot of. Um, it feels like a a lot of vignettes and a lot of uh, just ideas thrown about, um, and I wasn't exactly sure what the overall uh, arc, arching message was. So you have the Concord Hour of five minutes, and then you have um, uh, Twilight Shimmer, uh, nearly ten minutes, and then the rest of the rest of the songs, rest of the sixteen songs, uh, are literally under three minutes and a couple of these are like 23 seconds and 18 seconds is it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one uh very esoteric and uh you know i expect nothing less from an international anthem album uh released album um but yeah man interesting to i don't know chew on um but uh probably won't be me to sonically explore it uh verbs nelson dialect and mr slips uh, sight beyond sight. In the same way, I echo your sentiments uh, when it comes to uh, just having these artists that kind of just should be talked about more, right? And I feel like the Verbs and Mr. Slips uh, duo has been incredibly solid um, in the past uh, few years. Um, they did their Short Connects record earlier this year, where it started last year, really solid. Uh, Radio Waves in 2020, amazing album. Um, but yeah, they just keep they just keep knocking them out, man. Lessons of adolescence in twenty twenty as well. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, seventeen actually, twenty seventeen. Uh, that one's just the instrumentals. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's just that they 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 keep they keep banging them out, man. They keep getting these keep getting these albums out, keeping it consistent. And uh, this was really interesting. I liked it. I like the it kind of goes into a more darker place uh, for the last few tracks, which is kind of interesting, um, especially since like. Uh, accidentally put it on shuffle and then I played it regularly and uh, yeah there's a reason why you don't shuffle albums ladies and gentlemen terrible uh, because most of, the, most of the time they do it with purpose okay so like don't, don't shuffle. shuffle albums um, I don't know don't shuffle get, albums. get that tattooed on you somewhere so you always remember <laughs> don't shuffle albums don't shuffle albums um, but yeah last track was a little posse cut can't complain about that really solid um, but yeah nice and bright at the beginning kind of gets Darker the production at the end, uh, but yeah, the first time I've listened to Nelson dialects, um, he's solid as well. Um, so yeah, man, really good, really calm stuff all around the shop. Uh, and last one is Terrace Martin's Curly, um, dedicated to his late pops. Um, this is a full-on jazz album. Um, if you, uh, this is kind of like I, I describe it as that jazz that my mum wouldn't like, um, because there's just too much going on. Um, but yeah, uh, basically these are, these are tracks. If you have 
like me, followed Terrace Mind for a few years now. Well, I've, I've, I've been following since freaking, I don't know, 2017 or something. Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's tracks there. The the names you will recognize a couple of them. You know how much does a how much a dollar cost, right? Um, but just don't get don't get it twisted, right? They have the essences of the tracks that they're named after. Um, but these are you know practically jam sessions, right? And uh, they go places. Okay, so don't be expecting a jazz version of how much a dollar cost. You you'll get it for the first minute. And then the rest of the, I think, seven minutes is just just jamming at that point. Um, so, you know, they keep the essence, but they just go wherever. Uh, Valdez of Crenshaw, which is from his album Velvet Portraits. Um, you know, they, they have the skeleton of these of these tracks, Untitled 05. And, um, yeah, and I think there was one from, even one from, the, from Fine Tune from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I think it's called Final Thoughts. Just that slapped on. But uh, basically, it's just one big dedication to his pops, uh, Curly Martin. And um, all of the tracks involve him as well as a musician, and uh, that's that's all that's all we're here for. You know, what I mean, it's just one big dedication records. And if you like, if you like some, uh, I I I just say jazz now because I can't be asked to actually try and uh, give it the correct labeling. I don't know if it's free form, probably not, right? But it gives off that nature. Um, but I I'm honestly not that uh, that. Uh, literate when it comes to locating which jazz albums are which. But anyway, with that said, we shall hop into our topic for this episode. And it's a topic that I generally thought we covered already. <laughs> yeah, well, I was just looking through the archives. Yeah, I was just looking through the archives and I was just like, oh, right, we haven't done NWA. <laughs> like, we've done Easy E, we've done Dr. Dre, we've done Tupac, we've done Biggie, we've done Ice Cube, we've done Easy E, we've done Dre, we've done Ice Cube. Uh, we did an episode on the particular uh, NWA and Ice Cube beef. Uh, we did another NWA related thing, NWA related thing episode at one point. Um, but yeah, we've done like some point. Uh, yeah, some uh, yeah, something of that nature. So you know, we've talked about it. we've mentioned NWA at least uh, explicitly five times um, in an episode. And actually, not even done NWA as a group, so uh, we are here to rectify that. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those one of those cases where you know the story is well storied, the storied story, and you know the legacy of NWA is kind of it's kind of hard to think say anything fresh. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll give it a go. <laughs> Have a crack at it. So, so. We'll give we'll give it a crack. See what happens. Pam, what you got for it? Well, yeah. I mean, as Charlie said, there's not heaps of point in me telling the story of NWA. There is literally a movie, and although I always do research entirely independent of movies or TV series, and the movie is 100 percent fact, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there was some there was some heavy inconsistencies in the movie. It was a great movie to watch, but like, yeah, heavy inconsistencies. Good movie. I like the movie. Yeah. But you know, NWA are powerfully influential like deeply deeply influential not just for the solo careers they spawned but for the movement they pioneered the content they introduced into the mainstream for the first time and most importantly for the story they told russell simmons said this of the group um he said i always say it's the rap music that people hate the most that's god's soundtrack you you need to hear fuck the police if you live in compton at a certain time at a certain point that dialogue creates a greater relationship that kind of truth is necessary so maybe the best way I think to approach this episode is to 
you know, kind of speak to people who maybe didn't grow up in the group or haven't really bothered to check the group out or understand. You know, they, they see it as this big monolith in hip-hop history. NWA, 1988, you know, that's the thing that happened. And that's all you, the only way that you interact with it. But I want to talk about like why that was so important. Now, Dr. Dre is the most illustrious alumni and Ice Cube's vocals and writing is all over their music. And obviously, since NWA, Dre and Cube have gone on to just genuine ubiquity, even across like, you know, Dr. Dre in business, uh, Ice Cube in movies. So like they have taken on an entire Ice life Cube of their own. Ro- rolling with Tucker Carlson around South Central. Was he? I didn't realize he was doing that. Ice yeah. Cube. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, but it's important to know that Eazy-E is not just the leader of the group, but he was the spirit of the group too. And it was his stories and vision that pushed NWA to create arguably the most vital album of the 1980s, maybe in hip hop history. I think if I compare it to two other truly iconic hip hop albums from 1988, it will kind of situate its influence. The first is Public Enemies It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, which was very incendiary and it lit the entire East Coast on fire. It was incredibly detail-oriented. And Chuck D said it was an expression of the information portal that he envisaged public public enemy as being so but it was it was far more detail oriented that album d la soul's three feet high and rising took the socially conscious in a whole different direction you know they went back to the liberation of collective thought from the 60s which was obviously fueled by psychedelics and you know pop groups who turned inward and searched for something more meaningful than chart success and this revolution showed the power of not just the music in delivering a message, but the power of those carrying that message out, the fans. And this is partly why NWA was seen as such a threat. They were labeled dangerous by just about everyone on the conservative side. Their music was banned, they were denounced, which of course only put a battery in the back of their popularity. Like everyone wanted to listen to NWA and go to their shows. When people they despise, you know, silly conservative leaders were denouncing them, they were like, this is fucking great. I'm gonna go watch these guys for sure. So Fuck the Police is the figurehead for this. You know, this song sparked the FBI to actually write to NWA's record label in protest of the lyrics. Now, Jerry Heller in his, I think it was his um, his autobiography, he claimed that it was just one pissed off agent who did this and that person did not speak for the entirety of the FBI. But the agency actually released public statements blaming Fuck the Police for violence against the police. This section I'm about to read comes from a Steve Hotchman writing, it's an article from him in the LA Times from 1989, and I'll quote it. While the FBI never pursued the matter legally, they publicly blamed the song for violent attacks against the police force. An FBI representative recounted, 78 law enforcement officers were feloniously slain in the line of duty during 1998, uh, 1988, sorry, and recordings such as the one from w- NWA are both discouraging and degrading to these brave, dedicated officers. And apparently the letter was intended for individuals responsible for the licensing and distribution of the song so they could have the benefit of knowing the so-called facts of police violence. So basically the FBI were you know, dead against them. And in Australia, the ABC, which is our public broadcasting network, actually banned the song as well because of a conservative campaign. And Triple J... Uh, which is our youth radio station under the ABC umbrella, they protested the band. They actually went on strike. And while they were out of the studio, they played Express Yourself from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on a loop. They actually played it 82 times in a row. So, you know, 
it was a huge song and it created a huge dialogue, but unfortunately it kind of created the wrong dialogue because rather than mainstream media, and again, this is just in hindsight, I wasn't there. I was born in 1988 and I live in Australia, so I don't know. You know, if you were around this and you had experience with this, please explain to me, you know, what kind of dialogue this created because in hindsight and looking back at, you know, the news articles from the time and how people reacted, uh, you know, just what I can gather from the internet, the dialogue that was started was not mainstream media digging deep into police brutality and racial profiling, not to mention the overt systemic racism and oppression NWA are eloquently explaining. The dialogue was instead around freedom of speech and censorship, which is a very important conversation as well, but it's far too limited to do the song the justice it deserved. And in hindsight, it's seen as one of the greatest moments in hip hop history, and sadly, it still remains a vital song to this day. Now, I even question what reaction a song like this would have at this very moment, because I dare say, you know, sadly, it would be a similar one to 1988. You know, I feel like there was a period in the mid-90s where a song like this may not have caused a huge stir. Um, and of course, we all remember how ubiquitous it became during the Black Lives Matter protests. At one point, Anonymous actually hacked Chicago PD's radio scanners and continually played the song across their scanners. And it had a 272% increase in streams in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And the alternative press also notes that the song often surges in streams after instances of police brutality. But right now, we're facing the prospect of what could be described as the antithesis to this song, which is Jason Aldean's or Aldean, I don't know how you even say his name. Try that in a small town. That's going to go number one on the Hot 100. Now, he claims the song is not racist at all. But the video depicting protesters clashing with police and the theme that protests like this would never happen in a small town because the townspeople would take up arms for the police, that says otherwise. And that song is surging despite the country music channel taking it entirely out of rotation due to the controversy. And I think we all know why. Racist people like that. They're going to listen to it. And so... I'm curious, Charlie, how, because I want to have more of an existential discussion. I definitely want to talk about their albums and their music, but I'm curious as to how you think a song like that would be viewed if it came out tomorrow. Like, from a major, major artist, they put a song out like that. Um, like, would it be accepted now? Like, or would there be widespread condemnation of it? Uh, I mean, considering how uh, polarized uh, our collective societies are, um the answer is probably yes um i wouldn't say in in the od version of uh you know people <laughs> i love it i love it when um minor side note but i do love it when uh uh football fans uh burn kits when they've copped the kits um and i love it when in depictions of you know nwa history um uh, it was like uh, you know uh, people just uh rolling down their their albums like on the floor but you cop them funny it's just hilarious to me um but yeah i think i feel in i don't feel i don't think it would have had the impacts that um they did in 88 uh partly just because uh you know i think collective society is uh very you know splintered and there would be people that's just like oh well okay uh you know they dropped a track people reactionaries are definitely gonna you know just sink their teeth into it and then 
once that dies down, it's just another song <laughs> that's going to be on Spotify. You know what I mean? So uh, it's it's. I don't I don't think it would have had the same punch that it did back then, and uh, and I, and I think that particular year obviously just held a lot of weight. Uh, hip-hop-wise, as you were talking about, but also just um, in terms of what was going on in America in the 80s, or the late 80s, and police brutality. And, you know, that's kind of the... And the reason why they made the track in general, right? There was a re... This is a thing. There's a reason why that track was made. Like, <laughs> it's not... Like, Cube didn't write that just out of boredom. Um, you know, there was, a, there was an energy behind it. There was course, a purpose behind it. Same story. with the, you know, same with pretty much any track that you want to name uh, of this nature, right? There's a, people don't just do it just to be, uh, just to be edgy, you know? Uh, people might do it to get a rise out of somebody, uh, you know, aka trolling, but no, nah, I don't think, I don't think that was the, I, f- I feel like, you know, the case for making this track and dropping this track in 88 was, you know, in good faith. And uh, as, as, as you've detailed and as, you know, history of, has uh, covered immensely, um, there was a lot of backlash towards it. Um, I don't think, I don't, I don't, I really don't think it could have uh, had the same punch that it does, uh, that it did back then. The world is just way too splintered now, uh, where something can just uh, punch through like that and just become a part of the the national conversation of something. Um, you know, maybe it could go down that road of, uh, again, reactionaries just taking hold of it and then just given a reason to dick ride the police and then having people just say, I mean, the police are kind of garbage, though, let's be real, right? <laughs> and just be, and just having, you know, sensible, uh, measured arguments and measured solutions uh, towards police, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's just going to be people... Uh, I'm not calling it tweeting anymore, um, since it's with an X, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call it shitter because... XI, right? Shitter. Um, shitting. And, um, yeah, it's, people are just going to be shitting all over the place. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use that. It's going to be a thing now. And, uh, <laughs> people just Charlie's going to make it work. Charlie's going to make it work. <laughs> I literally changed the title on my phone. I'll, look, I'll give you a screenshot just to prove it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's great. Um, but, yeah, it, it, you know, people people have that. That's that's how it happened. happen. It'll drop. People might, reactionaries will get hold of it. People will go, yeah, yeah, yeah please, yeah, the police do this. Well, what, who are you going to call when you get robbed? Yeah. Mm. Like, it's just that same shit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I've, I've, I've probably said it before, but um, I feel NWA just came at such a perfect time yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, it, it, <laughs> just in the, in the climate of, the US and especially California society, um, LA, South Central society, right? Just it, it just that melting pot um of uh of uh, just locales and attitudes and uh, news news and events going on at the time, current affairs is near near perfect. Um a perfect storm for them honestly in making that and and dropping that is a real perfect time for it. Yeah, I fully agree. Fully agree. Um, 
in order to get to that point, to even drop that single, um, they needed a song to propel them. So they dropped this song called Panic Zone, which was released as a single in 1987, but it didn't really do much. Then they dropped Boys in the Hood, which is a debut solo single by Easy e written by Ice Cube, produced by Dr. Dre. That's the dream team right there, and this was the one. It debuted this new style from the West, one that brought together the kind of straight-faced storytelling on the East Coast, but it had the gangster rap energy that Ice-T was introducing uh, on the West. And I want to read the Wikipedia entry for the uh, content section of this this track because it's, it's oddly evocative. Um, I'll read it out. In the Boys in the Hood lyrics, Easy e is the protagonist and tells the story of an ordinary day in the hood. The song details Easy e seeing a friend, Kilo G, after Kilo has stolen a car. Kilo brags to E about committing Grand Theft Auto. E then relates the story of a prior friend, JD, who became addicted to crack and attempted to steal E's car radio. E chases JD to call a truce, but JD pulls a 22 caliber pistol on E. Unbeknownst to JD, E has a 12 gauge, and he ends up killing JD. Easy, bored as hell, went to a spot where his friends gather, where E drinks alcohol. Like, it's, it's just like, I could keep going. It's, it's, that's what the song is, and that was so brilliant. That was what was so brilliant about NWA. Easy was just telling, like he was just. It was this like, out, it sounded outlandish the story, but it was his everyday life. It was just like he was retelling his everyday life, but he was telling it in such an entertaining way, and it was just a straight up ride, man. It is a ride through Compton, narrated by Easy E and written by Ice Cube, and it was so simple, but it was cutting edge, and it launched NWA as viable commercial prospects. Now, on a side note, living in the 1980s, it must have been fun as a hip-hop fan, you know? It would have been hard to hear everything because, you know, you don't have the internet. But, like, just walking into cutting-edge songs and albums every few weeks must have been just a trip, like, to, to experience that. But what N.W.A. had unwittingly cemented was gangster rap, which is a style born from Schoolie D and Ice-T. Now, Ice-T told Props Magazine about how the subgenre began, and I'm not going to read out exactly what he said because it's quite, you know, it's quite long, it's lengthy, it's it's got historical context, but, you know, he was talking about it, basically there needed to be something to come along to sweep it into the mainstream and then turn it into, like, a real thing, turn it into something. And Ice-T was mainstream, I'm not saying he wasn't, but, like, it just needed, like, a swell of the entirety of America behind it. And the subgenre morphed so quickly that by the time Straight Outta Compton dropped, it you know was ready. And Straight Outta Compton comes out, and again, this is just one of it might be the most influential album from that year, which is saying a fuckload considering what came out that year. Like it's it's its importance cannot be overstated. Wow, Ben, overlooking N.W.A. and the Posse. What a shame. Oh yeah, I did overlook it. I thought we were, that's right. We're going to talk about it. Uh, I'm half joking, D-O-T. but but it's an interesting, but it's an interesting. Um, I think like uh, uh, moment. I think for them because uh, you know it dropped only a year before, um, and while it does have Boys in the Hoods and Eight Ball and Dope Man that features in uh, Straight Outta Compton, albeit remixes of the latter two. Um, there's just a lot of, um, and I love how it says on the on the on the I guess the album cover just smash hit, <laughs> just like featuring the smash hit. A bitch is a bitch. Just great. I was, I was I was just thinking it in my radio voice. Um, every time I see it, but um, it's it's a it's a great uh I think just 
in a, in in the space of a year or however long, right? Months, right? Uh, in a matter of months, just the entire landscape sonically just changed off off Strayer content. That's why it's so important. And looking at NWA in the posse is a good, just uh, I guess, uh, just a good place to have a look at it and just understand where they were at because they did do Panic Zone, and Panic Zone sucks. Um, it's it's just is it's like. It's it's just like uh, listening to African Bambata, um, listening to the likes of um, fuck, what's the what's the thing called? Uh, Planet Rock, right? Just for example, right? Just that techno, uh, techno kind of like robot voice thing going on. You know, what I mean, it's just, just a, it's it's that kind of essence, and uh, it's a bit late to be doing that in '87 geese. You know what I'm saying? Just. But then you have a bitch is a bitch and eight ball and dope man and these these storytelling tracks and they just they're so different from that and drink it up oh my gosh drink it up fuck you know weird ass listen that is right and then you have fat girl which is just wow just just a just a planting the flag for fat phobia crazy just 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 constantly just constant fact jokes it's it's actually kind of impressive how childish it is um but, uh but yeah it's i think it's just a good um it's a good placement i guess just to just to, just to listen to it and understand kind of where west coast rap for the most part oh actually i don't want to say for the most part for 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 some for some that was what it was and then that has the mixing of what would be just the gangster rap sound that we all know of. And it's just a weird, it's a weird amalgamation in that one particular, I don't know what it's called, or how it's described, like a collaboration album or a compilation well, album. It's actually like, I think it was meant to be their debut album and it kind of unofficially yes. is, but then the yeah. group didn't really yeah. want it to be their debut album. Like it, we've, yeah. we've talked about it a few times with records on here where, you know, it's not necessarily the debut album, but it kind of is. So yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to touch on that right quick. But anyway, uh, yeah, Australia commented. Um, I feel like the the thing about an album like this is that this the 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 the, the headline tracks are so iconic that it's very easy to just have the B the B sides just swept under the rug and I'm just going to go ahead and highlight how fucking good the rest of these tracks are. Like, legitimately good these tracks are. Uh, you have Strayer Compton, there's Brother Police, and then Gangster Gangster, and it's like, that's good. That's, that's, that's one of the, probably the best. That's a wild three to start with. That's, man, a, that's, a, great, that's a great three Might tracks be to begin an album. Um, it's up there. It's up there with the best of them, that's for sure. Um, but don't sleep on If It Ain't Rough, please. Please don't sleep on that, because fucking hell, it's heat. It's so heat. Shout out to MC Ren, man. Seriously, like the amount of times I've had to like do the do these NWA adjacent episodes and just give a little big up to MC Ren because he just oh, this and quite on the set, quite on the set, probably being my favorite out of the uh, non-popular bunch. It's so freaking good. Like MC Ren on a track on in this era is just so fucking good. He just goes off. Um, Again, don't man eight ball all be your remixes, right? There's they're there um, as a kind of just a um, as a placeholder for what was there previously. 
something like that. It's got a nice, nice little uh, comedic element to it. It's just like, uh, Yo, Dre, what's your name? Something like that. It's just I, I like the, I like the, I like the camaraderie to it. It's nice. I ain't the one. Solid. Um, the only track I don't pretty much like is something to dance to, which is just ah, they just they couldn't let it go. Couldn't let it go. Couldn't let go of the old techno roots, you know what I mean? World, cl- thing, world, world class yeah. wrecking crew. It's Couldn't let it go. Thing. They just had to throw it in there. That's a try. And it kind of tried on for size, see how it fit. But, yeah, just just uh, like if I, if it said bonus track on it, I would have I would have like gone okay, and, and just happily would not listen to it. But it was just it's just there, and ah, just didn't have to do it, man. You didn't have to do it. Yeah, you're doing so well with the whole album itself. Like the whole album is very tight. The sonics are very clean. Um, well, for the eighties anyway. And um <clears throat> it's just it's it's cohesive and you know, it's 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 a really freaking good listen overall. Apart from that last track. But here we are. It's fine. It's great. It's a it's it's a it's a classic on classics. There's a reason why people big this up. We don't have to tell you how good this freaking album is, right? The but you know, just know the album itself is actually worth listening to, not just Stroud Compton, not just Fight the Police, not just Gangster Gangster. There's some good stuff all over this spot, and um, yeah, man, just uh, and the album covers iconic as shit as well. So like, it's just I don't know why. No, I'm pro- I'm sure probably I'm sure there's albums that uh, look the same in that fashion, where people's just looking over. You know, a dead body, quote unquote, or or to be a dead body, but ah, it's just great. Love it. Love it to death. I wonder how many people, because it, it's one of the most evocative. Like as soon as you see the title, you just hear straight out of Compton. Like you just hear it in your head. And I wonder how many people just, I don't know. That's. I wonder what the the Spotify streams are like on that album. Actually, I'm very curious about that now. Because Go on it, then, have a look, mate. It must look. drop off right, like after the first three, like crazy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Of course it oh, does. Oh yeah, it of does. Three twenty three, two eighty. These are millions. Two eighty two ninety million. 95 million and then we get 22 11 15 express yourself obviously 148 million which is a song i've never really enjoyed that much to be 100 honest um i eight, i like eight. i like it but i do but i do also actually prefer the remix um uh the remix i think on streaming features on the greatest hits album i think don't give me a don't get, I, I remember the i remember the cover of it uh oh well there's a there's an EP and singles one. Okay, there's two. There's an extended mix if you want to spin that as well. I guess there's forty four. Yeah, uh, greatest hits. Uh, yeah, features on the greatest hits. Uh, where you at? Yeah, express yourself remix. There you go. Six, another, track number sixteen. So yeah, you have that greatest hits. Um, listen to that express yourself remix. Get back to me on that because uh, that's that that I like that. I like that. The remix is good. So, but yeah, nice. but you don't prefer the song at all. No, I like it. It's fine. It's just not my favorite on the album. Like, it's not something I would ever go back to. You know, like it's it's not an out a song that I've ever listened to and been like, oh yeah, like I can I can I can feel this. Like it, it felt like a chart grab. Radio to me. Los Santos classic, bro. <laughs> was that which which GTA was that? Was that one that I've San even Andres. played? San Andreas. Yeah, I think I played San Andreas. God, I'm so old, man. It's like twenty years ago. Well, look, man, Straya Compton, this is the album that launched the West Coast onto equal footing with the East Coast. I'm just going to say it, man. It's the album that cemented gangster rap as a genre that would dominate hip-hop pretty much up until 50 Cent's run into the mid-2000s. Like, 
Its influence, as I said, cannot be overstated. And its con- commercial success needs to be commended. It peaked at 37 on the Billboard 200. It became the first gangster rap album to be certified platinum, which is no mean feat considering the group were really struggling to get any radio airplay due to their notoriety. They even cleaned the songs up and provided clean edits to radio stations, but to no avail, most radio stations were refusing to play. So their success was even more impressive as they leapt away from the confines of the West Coast and just spread that subgenre worldwide because the album charted in both Australia and New Zealand, which was an incredibly difficult feat back in the 80s, especially for a group who they weren't making like contemporary pop rap. They just weren't. It wasn't popular mainstream pop rappy music. And initially the album was met with very mixed reviews, very mixed Two UK publications gave it terrible scores, and if I asked you to guess one of them, you'd know that it was Enemy, of course. They gave it a 5 out of 10. <laughs> Q gave it a 2 out of 10, which is unsurprising. Oh, gosh. But, I, I'm, but who's who's looking for Q to... to uh, who's a, looking for these rock magazines to... a little to, to, Yeah, that's true, actually. Why the fuck are they reviewing shit like, like this? These, these are not the places for that. Like, why are you even bothering reviewing it? They're reviewing it because it made waves. Like, and they just... And, and then they were like, ugh, <laughs> this is some dirty hip-hop. Ugh, uh, yuck. Like, fuck off. Well, think I about their target Q. audience. Think about the Q yeah, and enemy target audience. Like... That's a self-serving review. They they put that out there so that you know their audience. Try and fucking read it. Rock fans oh, will like. Damn. It is somewhere. I've I've got like a little bit. Yeah, of, well, I'm not looking. I'm not looking for Q number uh, uh, Q eighty nine. By the way, yeah, November eighty nine is when when it was reviewed on Q. Fucking hilarious. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to find the freaking old school. Uh, uh, damn, really? Is that the link? No. Uh, no, it's well, tough. It's somewhere. I did read it. I don't know where it is. I've lost it now. But like, okay. you know, right. you think about it, like setting the landscape in late 80s America, because it's not like 2023 when we've been fed a, a steady diet of hip hop lingo and slang for the past 30 years. For plenty of people living through the 80s, NWA were probably their first introduction to this kind of hip-hop. So they probably heard Blondie on Rapture, and they probably rapped along to Rapper's Delight. But I don't think they would have heard heaps of other hip-hop, especially nothing like NWA. And Dr. Dre knew it, man. He opened the whole album with the iconic intro, you're now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Like, you know, he was like literally saying, like, you're going to hear something you probably haven't heard before. And Ice Cube was sure to mention the full name of the group in the fourth bar of the entire album. So absolutely no one was in any doubt as to what NWA stood for and what NWA was. Like, he then spent the rest of the verse murdering and pillaging. And there was no let up until Express Yourself down at track number eight. Which again is a very, it's a triumph of Dr. Dre and something more experimental than I think he's ever done again in his entire career. Like, actually, I can't think of any other time when he was... Because he's not a very experimental producer. It was a risk, man, throwing that song on the album, but it was a life jacket to anyone, like, floundering through some pretty fucking hardcore hip-hop. There was, like, a tiny bit of, oh, I can... I recognize this. Like, I recognize a sample. Like, I know what they're doing here. Do you know what I mean? And so then their nationwide tour after this... It only grew in momentum as stories of censorship spread with people desperate to catch a glimpse of they were the the new rock stars in the mainstream. And I've read Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. I've read The Dirt by Motley Crue. The 80s was the time of rock star worship. It really was. Kiss, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Van Halen, Bon Jovi, David Bowie. And NWA became 
curiosities to some, enemies to others, but icons to most, and they toured the country, eventually landing in Detroit for a now truly iconic performance. So Steve Knopper in July of 2020 wrote a brilliant piece about this incident when they, in a concert in July, he wrote it in GQ, and a lot of the following information comes from that piece, and I'm just saying this to just kind of set up like what NWA was and how quickly they rose to just being like widespread press, like like literal, you know, during our Eazy-E episode, we talked about Eazy-E being, you know, interviewed by like nighttime television hosts. Like they were huge. So in Mr. Nopper's article, he explains that Jerry Heller had made a deal with the tour promoter that the band would be fined $25,000 if they played Fuck the Police because according to Daryl Brooks, um, he was the tour manager. I think he was the tour manager, Daryl Brooks. The song wasn't going to be palatable to local conservatives. That's the only reason why. But something far more violent happened than a mere $25,000 fine. When the group started to play the song, sounds like gunshots apparently exploded in front of the stage. And in the ensuing chaos, a bunch of scuffles broke out between the police and, um, and NWA security. So apparently they let off cherry bombs, the police, for some reason to just scare people. I don't, I, you know, people don't really understand why. What ensued was dramatic. Uh, Jerry Heller said in his autobiography, he said, insurance carriers required police security as a condition of issuing a policy. No police, no policy. No policy, no concept. So Detroit police threatened to boycott those fuck the police motherfuckers NWA, which is basically what happened. So the crowd were chanting fuck the police so loud that the group decided to fire these orders and play the song anyway. Now, whilst the police fought with NWA security, the group fled. MC Ren said that he and Dr. Dre ended up together, but DJ Yeller became isolated. Easy e left with DJ Speed. Now, according to Nopper, the police ended up backstage in LL Cool J's dressing room and just started fighting anyone they could see, mostly LL's bodyguards. So once the group all made it back to the hotel, they hopped on a bus and they wanted to go to Canada, according to their tour manager, Aaron Gregory, but the police caught them before they escaped. In the end, apparently, the cops arrested them and then just asked them for their autographs, according to Ice Cube, which is a wholesome end, I guess, to what must have been a genuinely scary saga. Now, all of this was adding to their legend. These stories added credibility to the stories they were telling on Wax. And this movement became so widespread, Master Ace was recording records decrying it just a few years later. Like, that's how intense this became. And Straight Outta Compton was such a runaway success that cemented gangster rap not only as a mainstay in hip-hop, but a mainstay amongst the major labels who were eager to recreate NWA's success with their own artists, authentic or not. And inadvertently, I think NWA began the conversation around authenticity that has dominated hip-hop since. Like, do you have to live every word you rap? Can you tell the stories of the people around you as if they were your own? You know, this is how Jay-Z chose to attack Nas during their beef. And debate has raged, I feel like, since this album. I'm curious as to what you think with that, Charlie, because that's just something I came across and thought as I was researching this. And it comes off the back of our Master Ace episode where he was talking about Big Daddy Kane writing lyrics for Biz Marquee. A story that I didn't know. I did not know Bismarcky didn't write his own rhymes. But we've talked about it in a lot of episodes um, with 80s artists where they will confidently say, yeah, someone wrote my rhymes for me. Someone else wrote my rhymes. It wasn't a big deal back then. But all of a sudden, authenticity became a huge thing in the 90s. And I, I wonder if it came from NWA and the conversation around whether they were legitimate in the, the things they were saying, like whether they were living their rhymes or not. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think that, that there's some validity to that? 
I think there's a there's a slippery slope on both sides, right? Where if you're saying you're doing stuff and you're not, and those things are, you know, kind of just, uh, I don't know, kind of harmless, right? Um, whatever. Like, you, like you like Travis you Scott's album. Money. <laughs> you say, I like Travis Scott's album, but you don't like Travis Scott's album. That's not a big deal. Right, yeah, yeah. Slippy slope, right? <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, authenticity is not even a hip hop problem. It's an art. Thing, right it's an art conversation there that's a that's a if if i if if i'm writing a book about you know someone who took a photo got paid for that photo and then ended up getting into trouble because of that photo being taken right then should should i talk about it as if it happened to me no because i'm telling a story right and it's just a straight up story um telling something in a semi semi-biographical nature um, is is a, is a is a gray area right and you know we see that with uh, stuff like uh you know when kendrick was doing the you know keisha song and sing about me and stuff like that and telling you know stories of, of, of about other people maybe changing their names maybe not right um or changing their names but it's very obvious in the community who who they're talking about um so, you know, for, for the average listener, it probably doesn't matter, to be honest. Um, you know, even in, in more contemporary circles, that you know, there's rappers where they literally just go on Genius, do the do the verified shit, and then they literally just <laughs> go against exactly what they just said on the lyrics. It's like, running guns, da 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 Oh, I actually don't do any of that. I'm actually like, a, you know, just a, a got an accountant. You know, what I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just working. You know, what I mean, I'm not, I'm not firing guns. I, I actually live in the suburbs. I don't actually even live in the hoods, right? They're just doing all this shit, and I'm just like, and, and that seems, uh, in my mind, a little bit just, I don't know. It, it's that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, do you, you, we want our rappers to be authentic. We want rappers' raps and lyrics to be authentic. Now, does authenticity come into the... Uh, d- does does that come in when someone's writing your rhymes? Ah, I don't know. I'm not a rapper. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, know how to even. I mean, I feel like if if I'm if I'm if I have my name on the track, I feel like I should have a. Uh, uh, have some form of input on you know on what is said and also what is heard right where do you want to go with it do you have to be jpeg mafia and do literally everything is that authenticity it's it's definitely authentic in you know in in the process and the practice of making music uh it's definitely authentic in that in that fashion but in lyrical content you know people say shit and that's kind of the that's kind of half the point of of art, right? Is to you know is is to also in one in one aspect to shine a light on you know what's um, on on uh, on somebody's life it doesn't have to be yours on somebody's life or the lives of uh, the lives of many, right? Um, and being uh, and being dedicated to that, making that message. 
Or it could be the completely other way, where it's so fantastical and so uh, just not real. Then you know people don't people don't care about quote unquote authenticity on that front because you're talking about going in the space and do and and smoking a J while you're in space, for example, right? Just thrown out there, right? Is that authentic? Because Oh, um, actually, you can't go into space because, um, you know, you don't have the money. I highly doubt you have the money to actually go to space. And even if you did, they probably wouldn't allow you to light up a, light up a freaking fire and actually smoke a joint. So, you know what I mean? Just what are we doing here at that point, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I have... Um, overall, I have uh, kind of just... Uh, I like mixed feelings about the whole concept of uh, of authenticity. I actually dropped an interview. Uh, shout out to Yoni Blue, who uh, is a, who has been in the songwriting machine um, uh, in America, and you know he was talking to me about songwriting and the reason why the likes of good example Cardi B, right? The reason why the likes of Cardi B has writers now. Because it's not making it's it, they're, they're not just general rap tracks anymore, right? When you're making a certain track, and I know people are just gonna go <laughs> whap, right? But you know, when you're making a hit, when you're trying to make a hit, not making a hit, when you're trying to make a hit, you have to get a lot of people in on that front, and that's just how the songwriting machine goes, right? It's not a matter of uh, it's not a matter of Cardi B being in her car and writing rhymes anymore <laughs> it's just the song excuse me the song machine to quote gorillas <laughs> it's this it's, it's the it's the that's the machine of it so um yeah you know so is it is cardi b authentic because you know she probably doesn't uh you know write all of her rhymes anymore these days uh, because she's mainstream and because she's a pop artist at this point right and when you're a pop artist you get writers yeah, and you and you have to be, if you want to make those kind of songs. Um, you can't just be writing lyrics in the bus anymore. So it's a it's a silly side, bro. I don't really know where to <laughs> where to land on that particular conversation. But yeah, so it depend. It really depends on what you're going for, right? Is it fantastical? Is it realist? There you go. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. I mean, straight out of Compton because they had this experience touring the country and you know they were on so many interview shows and people genuinely felt that they were entirely authentic and they just they pretty much this this album ensured that they had an audience for whatever they decided to do next and the group had obviously and now i want to talk about like what happened to the group because yeah that debut album came it was so iconic it was so essential but no one really talks about what happened after that much. Um, obviously, we talk about Dr. Dre and Suge Knight and Ice Cube and the, the beef. But, like, how did that even happen? Because, you know, the group had one of its members being arguably the greatest producer of all time and another being arguably one of the greatest writers and MCs of all time in Ice Cube plus MC Ren. Uh, but, of course, it was the money. It was the money that fucked it all up. And I told the story on the Ice Cube pod and again in the Easy E pod but the issue was their manager, Jerry Heller. So Ice Cube refused to sign the contract that he was presented, believing that he was owed far more than Heller was prepared to give him, especially because he'd written a lot of the lyrics on the debut album. So he left the group almost immediately after the first album had run its promotional cycle. 
Now his debut album dropped in 1990 and he opted to take the high road and not throw any major shots at his former group members. NWA showed no such courtesy. They dissed him repeatedly on their 1990 EP, 100 Miles of Running. And this is the EP that you could easily argue ended one of hip-hop's most influential groups immediately as it had got going. Because the group dissed Cube repeatedly on the EP, which naturally drew Ice Cube's ire. The disses continued into their second EP, which prompted No Vaseline, which effectively deaded the beef with just how absolute Ice Cube's victory was. And the group's decision to needlessly attack Ice Cube, whilst knowing full well he wrote the bulk of the classic lyrics on their debut album, was a, a silly one and a fatal one. But one indicative of their fast climb to success and their equally fast dip into, you know, I was going to say oblivion, but like the, the, they just ceased to exist. You know, Easy had really lost grasp of the group thanks to Jerry Heller's unironically ruthless method, method of business. And, you know, Dr. Dre was being enticed by Suge Knight. Ice Cube left it to go alone. So their second album came amongst great turmoil, like great, great turmoil. And um, yeah, Charlie, if you want to speak on 100 Miles of Running as well, because it was it's a key. And I think we did speak about it quite a lot in another episode at one point, um, because it's quite a key like part of NWA's story. Yeah, um, it's definitely just a, a, de- a definite... I feel like if you're going to listen to Ethel for Zagging, uh, you're going to have to listen to 100 Miles of Running as well. And now you have to do this uh, with a kind of grit teeth uh, because if you want to get to <laughs> if you want to get to the main diss track of Ice Cube, which is Real Niggas, uh, you're also going to have to listen to Just Don't Bite It. And men, stop it, bro! Stop, stop it with these, stop it with these sex tracks. I beg you, uh, it's just it's 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 done now. Please. None of these anymore. Okay, just I know this do is. These, do these a, guys think that they're good at sex? Like, is that a thing? Bro. Like, they think that oh, I'm, I'm. Like, what? What is wrong with like this? Is terrible. <laughs> these are terrible songs. You, bro, you're rubbish at sex. Like, stop talking about it. I don't want it. I don't want these kind of tracks. And what's even worse is that like the track itself is like fine. It's it's barely just acceptable in terms of listening to it. But it's the shit. On the bookends, where I'm just hearing people act out shit. I'm just like, no, please don't, don't do that. <laughs> just, I don't want that. It's like, uh, it's like, um, it's like when uh, that the the beginning of um the Lil Kim album, Hardcore, uh, where it's just that dude's just like, going, um, oh yeah, um, <clears throat> one ticket to a thingy, please. and then it's just, you know, he's just like beating one off, and you can hear him beating off. And it's just like, I I don't want this in my ears. Oh, I don't yeah. want this in my ears. Please stop this now, please. Really. I beg you, please stop it now. Um, so yeah, you know, you have to deal with that. Um, and you know, it is what it is. So, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, you get to real niggas and you're just like, okay, this is the this is the ice cube track. This is he, um, he's mentioned explicitly, uh, Benedict Arnold, all that stuff, right? Very funny, uh, just, um, very random bit of American history there. Just uh, people. I like how in in that time, just just anything was like you're Benedict Arnold. So, okay, like, yeah, I, I, nobody says that anymore. So big I love how insult that, back in the day. Yeah, big. Oh gosh, Huge God, for someone called you yeah, Benedict the kids don't Arnold. Know that. Fuck, the kids don't you remember did, you, that shit. You did say it wrong, bro. You you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my gosh, but yeah. Um, 
So yeah, you have to deal with uh, don't buy it, just don't buy it. Um, fight the police part two, which is called surprise. Why not? Um, literally would have been so much better if they called it fight the police part two because it literally is fight the police part two. Um, and uh, also has the DOC in it, so that's great. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, that's the 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 piece fine. This, you know, just come here for the real niggas. Maybe surprise if you want to spin that as well because this is a good track. But um, yeah, just you have to. If you want to be completionist about it, um, yeah, you're going to have to live through Just Don't Buy It. And also the tile track as well, obviously. Um, and then commercial, which actually, if you if you throw in, if you like kind of queue up immediately, 100 miles of running, and then they're full-full zagging, it actually blends in very well, um, going from the commercial to the intro of uh, F44 zagging. And uh, yeah, it's actually really fucking good. Like the just the way it just blends into each other is actually really nice. Uh, shout out to Dre on that. One thing I wanted to mention um, in general as an overall point is that, uh, and this is more about Dre than Yeller and anything production wise, but I just love the way they sampled themselves at every moment, and it's really fucking great how they just do it all the time. They just you just have just literally from Boys in the Hood onwards. I think even the second track after that in the uh, and the Posse uh, album, you're just hearing you're hearing Easy E from Boys in the Hood, and they just keep doing that, and it's just a really good production motif that I'm really kind of sad nobody does anymore. You know, some people just do it for certain certain things, like you know, um, just when they have like a you know kind of them 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 scratch refrains where, you know, it's like, oh, they're throwing some Nas and he has him going, sleep is the cousin of death and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, or they make it into, like, the hook, which is not the hook, but it's basically the hook. And you just have scratches and then mentions of just, like, uh, you know, just artists from your saying stuff that, oh, I've heard that. But no one actually samples themselves in that in that fashion. And only NWA did that, from what I imagine. And obviously, like Cube, after his solo career, you know, does that a lot for himself as well. I just feel like that's a really good motif. That I'm surprised nobody does. Anyway, um, yeah. So F for Zagian, which is guess what, guys? Spoiler alert: niggas for life backwards. I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> so, so this Mind is that Cube. Moment, that. Yeah, I know, right? Really, really good. Um, what did someone tell me? Oh yeah, my boy told me a couple. Of, uh, he only discovered what cream Wu Tang cream. He only discovered what it meant like, oh, really? only a few years ago. Do you really? And I was just like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> I mean, they <laughs> say it in the song. Story. Like they say it in the song. It, that's, that's what I said. I was just like, "Bro, they literally say it three times in like in the start of the song in before the, the song it begins." Like they literally, he, Method Man literally carries you through the rest of it. He goes, "Cash rules." It's casuals, everything. Yeah. And you go casual around. around. He literally says the whole thing like three times, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, just a random thing. <clears throat> um, but yeah, God, this album, it starts off well and then it just takes a dip somewhere and um, it gets very bad <laughs> nearer to the end. Just, oh gosh, it, there's a stretch of tracks that just get so, so childish and so just unappealing. Is I I do wonder who they made it for. I'm assuming just the baseline dumbass white boys that know nothing about rap and then think automobiles funny. Like that's the only that's the only possible reason I can imagine them having find 'em fuck 'em and flee automobile 
and uh, what's the what's the third one? She swallowed it, which is basically a just don't buy it part two. Why is there a just don't buy it part two? Fuck knows, but there Sometimes, is one. Sometimes, man, they bring out these part twos. <laughs> Why do what they do this? Who are we doing Rizza. that was just like... Rizza. Rizza, Rizza. that's right. I did the part two. <laughs> I'm like, bro, you chose I the worst exactly song. I knew exactly what you thinking about. <laughs> Why did you choose the worst song to do a part two of? Don't do that part two. Domestic violence. There's no it? Glocko oh Pop gosh. part two, but there is like, you know yeah. what I mean? Come on, man. <laughs> this is... Wow. Uh, I can't even read the lyrics to automobiles because you have to you have to have it you have to listen to I well you have to kind of listen to the track and you'll get exact you get exactly what I mean because they're basically singing uh Parliament's My Automobile um from their 70 album uh Os- Osmium. Um so I highly doubt you guys have listened to Parliament <laughs> Parliament's uh, My Automobile but you're going to get it exactly the moment you listen to it. Um and it's just it's it's not good. It's just it's not fun to listen to. It's not it's it's so childish. It really is childish. Um they have a real niggas again, technically the LP version, and also a message to B dot A. Wonder what that means. Um but you know, and also always into something which um is another GTA San Andreas classic. Shout out to Radio Los Santos. Um and you know, that's good. Appetite for Destruction is a top I mean you know, there's not many NWA tracks to do a top five, but it's a top five track. Like, I love the production of that particular track. I love the kind of just this, um, kind of just this frantic energy. It literally sounds like they're running while they're rapping in some in some fashion. Just of how that production's going, it's just like it's so, it just really puts you on alert. And um, the way they're rapping as well is just it fits that perfectly. Give me sixteen appetite. Uh, give me eighteen appetite for destructions. It would have been great, but it ain't that, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd rather fuck you. Like honestly, find them, fuck them, and flee. Automobile. She swallowed it, and I'd rather fuck you. Horrible four track stretch. Horrible. Just absolutely grim. Just, just ah, sucks. Let me let me read you a bit of find them, fuck them, and flee just to prove my point. First verse with easy. Easily I'm approaching. There ain't no joking. When the pussy holes are open. Look, ready just to on fuck a side note, my... can, can, can no one ever say the word pussy hole on a song? Just don't say pussy no, hole. No, no, no. There's some, there's, some, there's, some there's some British lot that can say it. That can say it like, pussy That's true. It is, like... it is an insult. Yeah, like, I just mean like, like when it's not being used in that context. I don't no, want to know. Don't say it. Yeah. Don't Americans... Say it. Pussy old twat. Not off saying, limits. Don't say any of that. Uh, off limits. Uh, ready to fuck until my dick is raw. Yo, the motherfucking devil's son-in-law. Uh, and then it has in brackets, Peter, Peter, the pussy eater, because of course it does. Um, no, Mr. E, the motherfucking pussy beater. I'm the quick picker up. I'm quick to pick up a bitch. So here, so come here, bitch, and lick up and lick up and lick up the dick. Dear, dear. <laughs> Oh, how many nuts would it take for me to let that bitch graduate to less than three? Let's see. Brackets. Splash, 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 splash. Yeah, no. um, yeah, it's just not great. Not great Fair track. No. Horrible, yeah. horrible stretch. Actually kills the album for me, honestly. Um, I just take I just take Appetite for Destruction and Always Into Something and just run away with it. Um, shout out to Warren G on the, I think, second to last track as well. Uh, 1900 to Compton. That's only an interlude. 
Um, but I just wanted to pick up Orange because I love me some Orange. But yeah, just um, what honestly, what um, what they say about uh, and I'm re- I was I was reading um the well the Wikipedia snippets of the reviews you mentioned for Straight Outta Compton, and I was like, this is literally what you could have said for F Four Zagging, um, where here uh, Paula Hewitt of Enemy on the on the Straight Outta Compton review goes quote. Uh, Metro repetition and tunnel vision, literally F4 for Zagin. Um, Hi-Fi news and record review. Peter Clark going further um, calls the lyrics quote unrelenting in their unpleasantness. F4 for Zagin. Uh, off <laughs> and then uh, where's the where's the Q one? Charlie Dick for for Q uh, contends quote in the wake of Public Enemy and KRS One, it is amazing that something this lightweight could cause such a stir. This all-mouth and trousers content is backed up by likeable drum machine twittering, minimal instrument instrumentation, and duffish production. Okay, um, hot take. Um, what does but, that mean? I don't understand. Um, I, I think he doesn't like the fact that uh, Dr. Dre uses an NPC. Um, <laughs> oh, no instruments. No. Oh, Where's your instruments? No guitar. No instrument. No guitar. Why, why isn't there going guitars in this? I'm like, fuck off, you fucking geek. Um, but yeah, like th- literally, th- most of that you could have said for F four Zagin, and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against it because it's just such a big stretch of this album where it's just so unpleasant. Even to kill a hooker and one less bitch, if you want to throw that in, um, it's just like, I mean, it's very graphic. And, um, you know, you could take it or leave it on that one. You know, there's there's been more violent tracks. Uh, there's been more misogynist tracks out there. But, um, yeah, you know, One Less Bitch doesn't exactly um, shine, shine in gold uh, on this album either. But, yeah, man, just that, oh, that, mid, that mid part of the album is so unpleasant. It's just really just the when I, when we say, like, banger after banger, it's literally the opposite. It's just, it's just, ugh, after, ugh, after, ugh, it's just, ugh. It's so, it's so, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of disappointing um, because of the tracks that I actually like on here. You know, having Admiral Dancehall on Always Into Something just adds such a nice, just such a nice element towards it and really freshens things up, even on that track. And then you just, then you just do misogynist bars. I'm just like, at least get creative with it. You know what I mean? You're literally just, saying pussy hole and I'm just like ah ah no no it's just, uh, it just makes me cringe yeah well I think you know I I wrote down the final album was solid without pushing the same boundaries they'd managed with the first but to me it felt like NWA felt like they continued they needed to continue to push boundaries and unfortunately they went into the shock rap category where you know yes. their debut album yes. there's a difference like there's yes. a difference between yes. fuck the police and you know talking about yes violence against women like is there's a completely different i hope i definitely hope those are different things right like i hope that those aren't things that they were experiencing and going through i mean we know dr dre's story we talked about it on the doctor the, the the dr dre podcast um but yeah man like this to me, this album felt like the final dash in a 10,000-meter race rather than settling in for a long, creative 1990s. Did not feel to me like this album was setting up NWA for the 90s to like really push themselves and you know drop three or four really interesting projects. It just felt like, you know, 
it, it wasn't anything outlandishly different to their debut, but those who criticized it noted their lyrical depictions of sexual violence and misogyny. And, you know, those those reviews from the first album could easily have applied more accurately, as Charlie said, to the second. Um, and these depictions of, of violence and misogyny, sexual violence, they actually felt more like core values the second time around rather than just raw expressions of unsubstantiated anger. Do you know what I mean? Like... The first album, it felt like they were just pissed the fuck off and like everything came under that umbrella and they could say anything uh, under those circumstances and you'd be like, okay, they're just really, they're angry as fuck and they have every right to be angry as fuck, so it makes sense. But on the second one, it's like, no, you can't, you know, it's kind of like similar with Eminem where even 20 years, 25 years into his career, he's still doing the shock rap and it's like, okay, this wasn't a phase for you. Like, this is a real thing. Like, you actually kind of feel that way. And I'm not saying that, that about NWA, but it just it's just how this album felt to me. It's like it it felt like an extension of Straight Outta Compton, but in the wrong direction. And in that way, I think they became a victim of their own success. Because in 91, gangster rap was still evolving. It hadn't achieved mainstream permanence like it would by, say, 96. And that's when the same content repeated over and over becomes commendable rather than disappointing. So, like... If Kanye had made two 808s in a row, people would have questioned if he'd fallen off. But it's fine 10 years later for Future to drop literally the same album every single year and pick up critical and commercial praise because there's a lane for it now in the mainstream. People want that. So if that lane had already existed for NWA, this album would have done very well and people would have received it very well because they would have been like, yeah, it's just shock rap. You know, it's it's in that direction. Like 3-6 did, you know. Um, and so the album and the subsequent disbanding of the group I think to me highlights how different the wishes of Eazy-E were from the rest of the group. So Eazy-E envisaged Ruthless Records as a dynasty. You know, their early ethos were to work on one album at a time, uh, create perfection, put it out, and then focus on the next one. And NWA was always to be the jewel in the crown. But the label was wide, wide ranging. JJ Fad, DOC, uh, Michelle, Michelle, how do I, I always, I can't ever Michelle. say Michelle. Man, I gotta write that down. I'm such an idiot. Above the law, uh, Bone Thugs. Bone Thugs was signed. They signed 23 artists between 87 and 93. And this is what Easy E saw: a dynasty. You know, the artist-led version of Def Jam. And can you imagine if he played his cards right? And he had Ice Cube and Dr. Dre on the ground floor of this label. Like it would have gone incredibly well. But the whole thing just like Shug came in, started poaching people. Cube left. Dre left and like the bottom just fell out of everything. And even though Easy E was still making interesting solo music and like vital solo music, Ruthless just ceased to exist and NWA just ceased to exist. Like genuinely, you know, it, it almost felt like a collective in hindsight rather than a cohesive group. It felt like they came together for a couple of albums over a couple of years and, you know, it was kind of like a collaborative effort, but it never felt like a genuine group. And that's. You know, some groups that we've talked about in retrospectives, they've only had one solid member. Like, uh, Digital Underground are like that, right? Like, Shock G was the only one who was the only one who went through... I think I'm getting that right. He went through all the albums. And, you know, we never said, oh, Digital Underground don't sound like a group. But NWA, to me, I don't know how you feel about it, but to me, they just felt like a bit of a collective after this happened. It just... They kind of just ceased to exist. Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of, I guess, a credit to them in some ways because of their individual 
personalities and how they sound on the mic. I feel like you know they were very uh, they were very unique um, in that sense that everybody just like they're they're. I will admit, right? There's sometimes I listen to, I listen to some groups, um, and if I don't know, if I have just no idea who they are, right? I sometimes struggle to discern who's who. Um, it happens sometimes. Yeah, it doesn't happen as often. Often, exactly. Right, exactly. Like there's there's so many times where I'm just listening to someone. I I have to like look on you know genius or whatever and just actually. All oh, right, he's all right. He's on that one. Right, it, it's just it's just is what it is. Um, but you do, you do not get that with NWA. You know what Ice Cube sounds like. You know what Dre sounds like. You know what Easy sounds like, um, and you know what Ren sounds like. Um, so you know it's not it's not it's not hard to discern who's who. And uh, you know I feel like that was kind of part of it. That artistically they had their different essences. Um, Easy obviously just being more of a figurehead on wax than anything. Um, where you know he's just giving lyrics and uh maybe he's inputting on those by telling stories, maybe, who knows, right? Don't know about the writing process on that front. Um, but you know, maybe that happened. Uh, you know, Ren obviously had his own pen, uh Dre didn't, but because he just sounded so demonstrative and so, you know, Dre, uh it's, it just it just came off as very authoritative. Um, but yeah, I get, I get what you mean. And it's a worthy, it's a very, it's a very, I would say worthy and a very interesting, just, uh, uh, claim to make, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was short lived because of that just abundance of talent, I feel. And, you know, when you don't, when you don't play your cards right and when you just have these people that, uh, gain success relatively quickly. Um, it just made it just made sense for Cube to leave. It made sense for Dre to leave. Right? It really did make absolutely. sense. Absolutely, but like yeah, at exactly. the time, made... Dre leaving was a big risk. Like Cube leaving right, wasn't yeah, yeah. the biggest risk in the world. But you know, and that's what Dr. Dre said himself. He's like, I am the talent. Like I can go wherever the fuck I want and succeed. And you know, right. that wasn't necessarily true in 1991 or 92 like now with the benefit of hindsight and the chronic we're like oh yeah shit like no matter what this guy does or where he goes he's going to succeed but yeah at the time it was it was kind of risky i reckon okay fair enough um but yeah uh it regards to that i think just their uh abundance of talent kind of uh makes it seem like yeah there was like a there was a collective voice that they had at at a time Right, they had that collective voice for Straight Out Compton and for those tracks where they were all a hundred percent bought in to what was being said, how it sounded, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you know what they wore. They wore all black for a reason, right? It's, it's they, they, you know, they had the they had that collective vision um, for that, and unfortunately, the vision just wasn't that uh, wasn't that uh, long long term, um, but. You know, it 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 we're still we we still talk about NWA to this day. Um, like you said, fuck the police gets played, um, for probably not the best of reasons in in society, but it still gets played. Um, all the all these tracks that we've mentioned, apart from you know the five track stretch of <laughs> FL4 Zagging, gets uh gets spun regularly for 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 whatever reason, and there's a and there's 
you know, the reason for that is because it's just really fucking good music. Um, and, you know, with all the context added to it, it just makes it that much more weighty. And, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's NWA in a nutshell, man. It's just that brief but beautiful light. Um, but also, uh, you know, bore fruit for other things. Um, so, you know, can't, I can't, this <laughs> is, is, is what it is on that front. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. I mean, one of the most influential acts of all time in history and it's it's a time capsule and you know going back and listening to fuck the police and recognizing how as charlie said it's still fucking relevant today it's being played not as a you know people going back and being like oh nostalgia it's being played because it's still relevant which is just fucked really when you think about it but anyway that's a whole other conversation Certainly, um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw out the the, uh, the episodes that we've mentioned so far. So, uh, one forty-seven, uh, Easy E, um, that's Easy Retrospective. Uh, episode twenty-eight is when we looked at the specific No Vaseline, uh, just song itself, and the Ice Cube, and WA uh, beef, and also Easy and Dre. I think uh, I'll talk about uh, the. Um, uh, the real motherfucking G's. Real motherfucking G's is, fucking is what we Top tier track. Love yeah, that track underrated. to death. Oh, gosh, so good. Um, but yeah, Dr. Dre was episode 19. Uh, very Shit. early one there. Early. And Ice Cube was episode 59. So feel free to jump early. in those if you feel like it. To complete the set of NWA. Well, <laughs> um, we still got to do Ren. Oh, you, you want to do rent sometime? Okay, we'll, we'll do rent sometime. Who knows? I don't know much uh, about him. I'm a bit embarrassed by that, to be honest. I mean, he has he, he has some workout. He has a lot of workout, so yeah, might, might be worth a worth a look at some point. But anyway, uh, for now, we'll we'll leave it there uh, for NWA. And Ben has one word for this lighter note that he asked me to just say, so he can just go Hulk mode uh, for however long it's going to take. And that two, those two words are beat switch. Go. I, I don't even know if I could be fucking bothered, man. Like, what the fuck, I man? Like, bro, I, this, I, this I hate this dude so much, man. I this don't dude, get this. I wake up. I wake up. And I wake up to a VM. And he's like, Spice. Charlie, I fucking beg you. Fucking say beat switching. Remember this. He said, play, say beat switching for the lighter note. I'm going to go fuck off. I'm paraphrasing heavy here, but this is basically the energy that he gave to me on that VM. He's like, I'm going in. Why the fuck people not understanding beat switches? It's when a beat switches. It <laughs> is. Like, it is. Like, that's what I don't understand. I'm getting dragged because people are like, what's a beat switch? And I'm like, when the beat switches. Beat switches. And then, <laughs> and then someone said to me, are you talking about unique beats? Like, how many? I said, No. If I was talking about how many unique beats there are, I would say this number of different beats. I said if a beat is playing and then it switches to another beat and then switches back to the first beat again, that's two beat switches. It was playing a normal beat, then it switched to a second beat, that's one beat switch. Then it switched back to the first beach. That's a sw- that's a beach, beach. I did get all mixed up. And someone responded. People, when I replied with that, they were quote tweeting that and being like, "Oh, this is why you got no idea what you're talking." Like, what do you mean? I got no idea. Anyone? And I was saying this to my parents the other day. I was like, "It's like saying to me, how do you know if you're riding your motorcycle or driving your car?" And my response will simply be, "Because I'm riding my motorcycle." Like, people ask me, what's, how do you know if he's rapping or singing? I'm like, because he's rapping. 
or he's singing. These are distinct. There's no, you can't drill down any further into it than that. There's no more explanation that needs. Like if the beat switches, if the production switches to a different beat, not an intro, not a breakdown in the middle of the song, not a like same beat, but like a different synth on top. Obviously that's not a beat switch. If the production changes from a beat, one beat to another, like, and so, you know, when I came back to hip hop numbers a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago now, so I took a bit of time off. I was like, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to get back on top, man. I want to get back on the out because I know I can do it. I know I've got the content for it. And I've done it before. I've been at the top of the game. I've been, you know, getting the million view tweets every every second. To, I've been there, and I really wanted to do it. But the discourse on that app, since I was doing it three years ago, has devolved into just straight up like, bro. You just tweet out music is good and people that will go viral. People are like, oh shit, yeah, music is good. I like music too. Or Travis Scott dropped Utopia. What do you think about it? Like, it's been 22 minutes since the album dropped. Have you gone back to it? Like, it's just, it is fucking mind-numbing. And I don't want to talk to most of the people I talk to online. Like, if I have to explain to you what the fuck a beat switch is, it's okay. I don't mind you asking me the question. You can ask me the question in a, in a totally non-violent way. In a, just a, like, I'm a bit curious, how do you define a beat switch? Don't fucking come at me with your whole chest and be like, this motherfucker doesn't know what the fuck a beat switch is. And then I say, that. It, anyway, I give up. I give up social media. I give up on you. Maybe I'm just too intelligent for social media, or maybe I'm just mad. Maybe I'm crazy. You know, if, if everyone else is insane, then you're the one who's insane. So maybe that's true. You know, it could just be that. Maybe I'm just fucking insane. I don't know. But okay. I did want to ask you, Charlie, because we talked about melodic rap. We were talking about it. I was talking about I'm curious how you feel about this because people were just passionately telling me that melodic rap was rap and i'm like okay but like what defines it as rap and not singing and they're like well it's it's melodic rap and i'm like okay that's cool but melodic rap you're talking about singing you're the 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 songs they're describing to me like uh i think we were talking about hotline bling and people were saying hotline bling was a melodic rap song i'm like in what way is that a melodic rap song in any way and they're like well drake did it I'm like, so you're saying because Drake raps sometimes, that means whenever he sings, it's melodic rap. And then people were saying, well, it's, it's it could be over a rap beat. I'm like, you, you mean a hip-hop beat? A hip-hop beat could be anything. Like, I've listened to Taylor Swift sing over hip-hop beats. Does that mean that Taylor Swift is melodic rapping on top of that? Like, what are you talking about? Like, am I losing my mind, Charlie? Am I losing my goddamn mind when people say to me, what's the difference between rapping and singing? I'm like, y- you're rapping or you're singing. Those are, they're, they're distinct things. They're not like, Uzi and Travis blend it really well, but it's very obvious when they're not. They start elongating their syllables. They start, you know, harmonizing with the song. They start singing in a melody. They sing in a certain key. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, d- I'm curious as to how you feel about that, Charlie. The melodic rap thing. Like, because that one really, really got me. Uh, um, I've, I've got way too much 
life on my plate to care uh, about the whole argument, really. Um, but I'll, I'll indulge you, uh, just since you asked. Uh, I feel that is, you know, I was, I was, while you're talking, I was thinking of like, you know, when DMX does it, right? Where he's like, da da that's you know he's kind of kind of singing he ain't rapping yeah so what is it right yeah and i feel like uh, in one way i'm just like who cares like stop labeling every every single little thing as a thing um not everything needs a label uh if you know someone sings over some trap then someone sings over some trap is what it is right (laughs) they're singing over trap does it have to have like a does it have to have a piffy uh, genre subgenre name to it? No, no, probably not. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like you know, Hotline Bling, classiest hip hop, right? That's it. That's, that's that's all. Like that's all you can do, right? I don't. The past Very that I don't really song. care. He's singing on it. I'll give you that. He's singing on it. He ain't rapping on it. So what? What is that? Right? And yeah, I I just I the, the sometimes the lines just blur so much. Um, that I kind of just stopped caring. I've, I've I've stopped caring over this particular argument. I feel like this is an argument from like 2015, and yeah. it's just come back for the SoundCloud some reason. argument. Yeah, it, yeah, SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah, it was a SoundCloud uh, era uh, argument. And I was just like, I, I just, it, back then, I was just like, you know, if they're singing, they're singing. Um, if they're not, they're not. I feel like you know we can easily distinguish the two, but you know, like you said, you know, Pete, it's the, it's the, Within within you know a couple of bars, someone can go from singing to rapping, and you know that's within the, the same fluidity bar. of that's the fluidity in the same bar. That's the fluidity. Uzi of, does it all the time. It's fucking. That's annoying. the fluidity that can come. Exactly, that's the fluidity that can come when it comes to music and to a lot of things. Um, so you know, stop trying to be so fucking rigid. Stop being so fucking dense. Um, and argue about something that actually matters in the world yeah. please not you not you but just like people in general just like no everyone uh, it, like, is the deadest argument this is a literally an eight eight-year-old argument like why are we having this argument still i was even uh, honestly i was even seeing on twitter uh i'm i'm still going to twitter like i'm i'm you know i'm, I'm going oh, down I'm the african-american route it's like th- they called it twitter i'm a call it twitter like it's just it's it's, it's just, I'm just gonna be i'm just gonna be singed on that um but you know, I saw, I've seen the argument about. Um, I mean, I've, uh, shout out Oli Yemi Alurin, um, amazing uh, YouTuber. Uh, did an interview with uh, uh, Ebro, and uh, posted a clip of from that about uh, sampling and you know just how sampling isn't really sampling anymore. Like literally yesterday, I saw Enerly Chopper just yep. did did nothing to hot in here, yeah. just had the beat. It's not just, sampling anymore. Well, we did. They're not sampling. Not sampling. It's, it's these just, are covers. You're basically yeah. You're fundamentally it's a cover. Like it's just silly now. It's it's not even sampling anymore. It's just lazy. Um, and uh, you know just that argument. I'm already tired of it because uh, I it, it, because it always charts and I'm just like what what is it you guys do you guys just literally want the same same shit all the time like you want nothing else like it's literally just literally only chopper over over hot in here. That's what you wanted. Okay, like why don't you just why don't you just get him on LA Leakers so we could just do a freestyle? Might as well just done that. Save time. Um and put like didn't have to do a music video for it. Uh and what's the other argument? Um fuck. There was another argument I was seeing online as well. But you know, but growth, I don't remember. 
because I don't care. There's okay. growth. <laughs> that's pivoted, growth. You pivoted well remember. there. You pivoted yeah, well. That's growth. I don't care. Nothing matters. Um, but this podcast matters. So that's all, that's all that happened in this moment for me. So anyway. Which maybe, I this there. Is, maybe this podcast is the only thing that matters. Uh, uh, yeah, well. Yeah, just, just you know, give, give... How about this, guys? Just um, not even... It doesn't have to be this podcast. It doesn't have to be, you know... It doesn't have to be a podcast, right? Just give something... Just give something to somebody that you like. Or post something that you actually like. Instead of just posting hot takes about shit. Um, just say, I like this song. Just keep it simple, cause just, I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting tiresome. <laughs> it's getting tiresome. Uh, even on like stuff like Blue Sky, which I don't, know if I, I don't know if I said on here, but I'm on it now. Um, it's boring as shit. I'm not really on it, but it's I, just, I'm, I have is, an account, but I'm not, I'm not actually on it daily. Um, it's, it's boring shit. But it's just very interesting watching people just post into the ether, and nobody's actually looking. It's very, it's very interesting. Um, uh, but yeah. That's kind of how I just... And now that I'm on Blue Sky, I kind of just see all social media like that, where I'm just like, everyone's just posting into the ether. Nothing matters. <laughs> Nothing matters. <laughs> Nothing if, matters. If Nothing you're gonna, matters. If you're going to post something, fucking post me a check in the mail, because that's oh. the only thing you should be posting is me money. That's what I want, money. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there for on the 5 EPN. This has been Digging Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Richard Soda for Fennel. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece and video games, but bonus points. Thanks to Chill Hot Music for the ability to use. Socials with Filament, Hip Hop by Numbers, bonus points, and Chill Music will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 EP in production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. I'll dig in, in the digits.